This is Dune Talk, a DuneNewsNet.com production. Join us now for the latest Dune news, reactions, and lively discussions. Hey everyone. Dune has been out now for uh, two weeks in parts of Europe and Southeast Asia, and for uh, one week in the Middle East. And basically any time of day you go online, it's a constant flow of elated reactions, people talking about how they've seen the movie, uh, multiple times or they're going in for re repeat viewings. Uh, so uh, here in the in the States, we, we haven't had the opportunity to see it yet, but we're getting excited and hearing all those uh, reactions. Um, so this is uh, Marcus Gabriel, editor at Dune Newsnet, and we're here to talk to you all about the, the Dune movie and other stuff going on in the universe of Dune. Uh, here today with Garen. This is Garen. Uh, good to see you all again. Uh, happy to talk through the things that are happening this week and my Twitter handle is dunecompanion.com. Johnny Sobchak back again. Excited to talk. A little bit less stuff to uh, gush about this week, but uh, more exciting news nonetheless, for sure. Hey, Simon here. Uh, excited. Originally, we were supposed to have it on the 1st, but I guess we'll wait until the 22nd, right? Yeah, that's true. So let's just uh, jump straight into the movie news. Dune Movie News. First uh, topic that we're going to talk about uh, today is uh, the box office update. Uh, so as mentioned, the movie has been out for, for two weeks in, in some countries. Uh, in its second weekend, uh, Dune stayed number one, uh, so dominating the, the overseas box office and reached a cum cumulative total of uh, 77 uh, million. Uh, so that was, um, and it was like, Quite quite a good uh, performance when you think about like uh, comparing week over week. The the drops were were like around thirty percent uh, on average, which is which is really strong. R R Russia and France were the were the big big countries with uh, fifteen million and thirteen point point four million uh, as of uh, after the, the second weekend. And if you look at those those trends in the second weekend, it was uh, starting to go above uh, F nine. In, uh, in multiple markets, including Russia and, and France. So, which is also impressive because uh, F9 was by far the, the biggest uh, grossing movie this, this year. Uh, so Johnny, I'll start with you. W what are your thoughts uh, so far after, after two weeks? How, how do you feel about this? Really, really impressed and happy, of course, as someone that wants to see this movie succeed. Uh, this is all you know, reasons to be optimistic and, and excited going forward, I think. Um, of course, we had the big opening week slash weekend uh, in Europe and parts of Southeast Asia previously, and that was really strong and it was a big overperformance and surprised a lot of people, I think. Um, and this, you know, even after that, though, there's always the concern. Well, is it front loaded? Um, is it just really big fans that are coming out opening week and then it'll kind of fall off from there? Um, you know, the, the thing about people always worry about legs, which is how is it going to perform in the weeks and, and weekends after um, as, you know, the initial hype dies down. And for, for to pass this first test, as, as far as, you know, that following uh, weekend with such flying colors is really, really impressive, as you already mentioned. Um, and it, it, again, overperformed basically everywhere. Um, and the word of mouth seems to be like extremely impressive. Uh, that's, I mean, word of mouth is how you really, that's the key to, to having good legs and, and to having success as the rollout continues. Um, cause that is where, you know, again, 
initial hype might be dying down. The, uh, you know, those big diehard fans that kind of load up in the front are falling off or teetering off, but the word of mouth, people telling other people, Hey, this movie's great. I really like this. You should go see this. And those people showing up, you know, the week after, after hearing about it, that's where you get those better numbers and those stronger holds. Um, you know, places like Russia where, where it was in France, where it was so huge uh, in that opening week, it only had that 37% drop off in Russia, 31% in France, a 24% in Germany, which is like, I mean, that that's not even really heard of. And that's why this is so impressive when you're hearing these numbers um, and you're hearing the comparisons also to other blockbusters that have been coming out this year and have been coming out during the pandemic. Um, those comparisons are very, again, promising, um, especially for things like Shang-Chi or F9, as you mentioned as well, which are really strong, established, you know, very mainstream, um, audience-friendly movies. Um, and this was a movie that had been considered not audience-friendly or it's sci-fi or it's too heady or it's Villeneuve, whatever you want to say. Um, an overall drop of 32%. Um, and in all those same comparable markets, same comparable, you know, rates and attendance, all that it's running way ahead of other things like you know, Blade Runner 2049, for example, which is, you know, what people have been comparing it a lot to for, you know, some obvious reasons. Um, but then also Godzilla versus Kong, it's doing better than Shang-Chi, Black Widow, Tenet. So there's a, a wide variety of places where it's overperforming um, and you know, now we have all of these September markets in motion. They're all active. And that's what it, we're going to watch perform and carry for the next couple of weeks until um, it comes out in some markets, I believe, in the middle of October. And then really the weekend uh, and weekend after that is going to be where it has like over 30 markets where it's going to release, including the U.S., including China. Um, so that will be the next test. Um, but for now, we're just going to watch. Ideally, Right now, it's right around 80 million uh, for a, a global total. Um, I, I really hope we get close to right around, I think 150 would be like the ideal scenario, like best case scenario. It's going to be tricky to, to, you know, watch that because uh, James Bond, No Time to Die is coming out. Um, Venom is coming out. Two big franchise films, two big, you know, anticipated sequels. Uh, and both also um, theater exclusive. So those are all you know interesting to watch um, and we'll see. But this is promising and it's been pointed out that if it's already doing this well, it probably doesn't have that much to worry about, um, you know, comparing, you know, to those two films that are going to be releasing now because it's still going to have decent holds. It's just, you know, it's not going to be, it's not going to fall off a cliff because it already hasn't fallen off a cliff and that's what it really needed. Um, to see out of the gate. So fingers crossed. Um, but at this point, you know, over a hundred million before it opens in the U S is pretty much locked in, which is great news. Um, and, and before China as well, which are the two top markets that we need to look at. Um, but yeah, I think 120, 130, potentially close to 150 million. That would be, you know, just extra, you know, on, on, you know, icing on the cake. So, um, again, overall, very exciting, very promising, um, I can't wait to, to <laughs> this is really like nerdy, I guess. And, and like, kind of like analytical doesn't have really anything to do with art or the movie itself, but it's just about the numbers, uh, game. And, um, but it's important because we want to know how's it doing. Does this mean people like it? Does this mean people are paying attention to it? Is there, is there a hype? Is there a consensus? And so far 
all signs point to yes. And of course, for Dune fans that want a sequel, that want a part two, that want a, a third film potentially and a show and all that, that is what we want to know. And that's promising. And all those things are looking likely um, right now, I would say. But it's a long, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. Um, but the first, I'd say the first, you know, what, five, six miles are looking pretty good so far. Yeah, and you talked about the the word of mouth and the positivity, which is like uh, all over the place. We, we've already talked about when it comes to critic reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Now it's uh, over uh, 90%. I think it was 91 uh, when I last checked. Mm -hmm. And then if you go on IMDb, it's currently the, the number one most popular movie. And not only that, it has an 8.4 rating. And this is after, you know, already like hundreds of thousands of people have had the chance uh to see the movie millions uh, actually so like this is already like a, a really strong strong number for it to hold of course it's still still early days it still has to release in a lot of big markets as you said but that's um impressive um so I mean, have, have you heard any, anything else from from france like what are your overall th thoughts about how well the movie is doing there um well what's interesting is so if you spend a lot of time watching youtube videos youtube will tell you hey you might like this you might like that right and that's how maybe you found this show. But so since I started watching a bunch of French reviews when it first came out, more and more are coming out. And I've been watching them and everyone is only saying positive stuff. And a lot of people are saying, hey, I saw this the second week. So word of mouth is helping. You know, like Johnny said, the legs are important, especially for a film like this. And I think the whole social media posting about it, telling, hey, I saw this, you should go check it out. I had a really good time. You know, I think that's helping a lot. I think that's the best advertising that anyone can do. And Garen, how, how are you uh, feeling overall? Yeah, no, I just, I, I liked a tweet that I saw someone in Europe said, um, I looked around the room and then I'm in the theater, I'm here to watch it do. And I look around the theater and there's, people of all ages sitting there. Um, and that to me is a really good sign. I noticed that when we, at least in my theater, when I went and saw the, the 10 minute preview in the IMAX screen, I, I was surprised at the age range. I've also noticed that my, my, uh, my oldest child is, is 23 and, and sometimes her friends and, and some of my other kids, they all know about this film, even if they've never read the book or they're not even science fiction fans. You know, it's it's uh, it's Timothy, it's Zendaya, um, but they're hearing about this. It's out there. The other thing I've noticed is now, of course, I'm following this on Twitter all day long, right? But it's almost like I'm getting this word of mouth coming from these people from across the pond who've already seen the film. And you know, I don't know these people, but it has an effect on me. It's like, hey, there's something going on here, and the way the words they're using to describe what they like about this film are not just, it was good, I liked it. They're, they're saying masterpiece, unbelievable. I've never seen anything like this, right? So that's the kind of thing I'm excited about is that kind of word of mouth coming through social media. Um, but like Johnny said, it, it could be, you know, the, the front loading of it. These are the, the super fans that are gonna go see it first. It's gotta cross over into the people, like some of my own children who they're not super fans. They haven't read the book. But if they can get excited about it and they can tell their friends, then this thing's going to get legs. So that's that's what I want to have happen. What's happening next? So as uh, as Johnny was was mentioning earlier, uh, now we, we have uh, some other big films that that are coming out. So uh, Venom is coming out um, uh, this this week. So in in Russia and Ukraine, uh, and then we have um, 
No Time to Die, which is going to be opening like basically across all those same countries where Dune has opened two weeks ago, like uh, Europe, including Germany, Italy, Spain, Nordic, Spenlux, uh, and the Southeast Asia as well. So uh, Hong Kong, Taiwan, uh, Singapore. Um, one, one interesting note there is that No Time to Die will actually be, be releasing uh, one, one further week later in France and Russia, which are the two strongest countries for, for Dune. So that's, that's an interesting point. So Johnny, now that we're coming to this stage, because that is sort of a slightly different situation than, than other movies have had. So basically Dune is now going to be coming up against like other really strong contenders, which are expected to do really well. Yeah, well, this brings me back to the point that, you know, a lot of people have asked the question, why did they release it like this? <laughs> um, and this, I mean, this really is why, because think about the fact that A, we're in a pandemic. So all these movies have been delayed and delayed years, some of them, um, multiple years. I know No Time to Die was originally going to come out in November 2019, uh, which is almost impossible <laughs> to fathom at this point. Um, but and that was the first one to get delayed due to the pandemic as well. I remember last year. So it's it's coming around full circle. And, and naturally, all these movies are going to get kind of chunked back into the end of this year. And then next year is going to be stacked as well. Um, but the reason that they did it this way is you put them into these markets, these specific ones like Russia or France, where it's doing really well. You put them into the Middle East, you put them into this, you know, Taiwan and, and Singapore, these places where those those movies you mentioned, Bond and Venom, are going to be coming out, you know, two, three weeks after the fact. Um, and that's good because, believe it or not, most movies make almost all their money in the first like three weeks or so, especially the big ones. Um, and that is, you know, why you want to at least have some sort of buffer two weeks, three weeks again is usually ideal. Um, you know, Christopher Nolan just made that deal with, uh, you know, Universal. And what did he ask in his contract? Do not release a movie three weeks before my movie or three weeks after my movie. And that's exactly why. Um, so those places got it. They're making their money. They're still going to have decent holds. It looks like so that, you know, not the worst thing in the world that these movies are coming out. Then not only are you getting the buzz out of these markets and that is circulating to the U.S., it's circulating to other you know neighboring countries. But now in the U.S., you have Venom coming out this week, um, two weeks after that or the week after that, one, you know, just one week later, you have Bond coming out. Um, and then two weeks after Bond, you have uh, Dune coming out. And then two weeks after Dune, you have Eternals, which is the Marvel's, Marvel movie. So that is why they stagger like this now could you you know some people said well maybe dune should have come out um at the same time in the u.s you know it, it should have come out last week um or the week before you know when shang chi was still in theaters and still doing well well if you release dune then okay sure it has maybe a solid week or two in theaters here in the u.s and in the other places like china and whatnot but venom is going to come out and then bond is going to come out and then halloween kills is going to come out and then Eternals after that. So it's like, yes, it's getting kind of like shuffled in the middle here, but it does have two week buffers on each side. Whereas if it was just in the front coming at the end of September, each time a new movie comes out, it's basically going to chop, you know, a big chunk out of what it's, you know, how many theaters it has, um, you know, and of course the, you know, getting attention away from moviegoers. So that is why I think this is actually going to work out pretty well. Um, and I think that it's going to, especially in that first couple of weeks um, where it ha it's removed from Bond and it's removed from Venom enough. And, and, you know, it has two weeks of Dolby and IMAX 
Um, I think that's where it's going to shine the most. And I think it'll, you know, do well even into November after Eternals comes out. Cause even November is, you know, fairly not empty, but it doesn't have big blockbuster movies like December and like October uh, do. It's pretty much Eternals. And then you have some smaller dramas, you know, House of Gucci, Spencer, other things like that, which are not going to be the big draws, the big IMAX, or, you know, Dolby, uh, you know, scenarios. So I think it, I think this is looking good. I really do think it's looking good. And I think there's a you know, reason to be optimistic and just patience um, is really the, the, the main virtue here. So let's uh, go ahead to our uh, second story uh, for today, which is the um, uh, behind the scenes uh, clips that have been coming out. So this week, we didn't have as much uh, in terms of like official trailers or, or teasers uh, or like new posters or anything like, like that that was coming out. Uh, but we did get bits of pieces of uh, behind the scenes clips that were being released, uh, I would say more unofficially. So we may not be able to show it here on the show, but we'll, we'll talk about uh, some of these. And um, so, for example, we, we had a the scene with the word Ornithopter. We got like a behind the scenes with uh, Villeneuve directing uh uh, some of the cast, uh, we, we saw the uh, Maldib, the, the little mouse. Uh, so it was like a bit of everything, like really saw as we discussed in the past, like how like there was a really great atmosphere on the, on the set uh, that you, you had that, that family feeling. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, it's really nice to, to see like uh, how, how things came together on, on the uh, basically behind the scenes. Uh, so I'll start with with you, Garen. Uh, from from the the clips that you saw coming out over the past few few days, was was there anything that had you really excited, or like what was your favorite? You know, um, I really like the the clip that shows uh, Denis with the, the little uh, little mouse. You know, the little. I think a lot of young people are going to think that's actually a stuffed real mouse, <laughs> but the, the Maudib mouse is fictional. It's not, it's not an actual uh, animal in our world. Um, but he, he has a little stuffed looking, you know, animal he's sort of playing with. And I just love the fact that we get to see this director who's usually, he's very serious, right? Which that's his job, right? He's commanding this army of actors and creatives, but just seeing him, smile with kind of this childlike, you know, gleam in his eye. I just love that. I just love that here he is. He has the weight of the world on him back in the summer of 2019 when they were shooting this. Uh, and yet he's able to sort of, you know, relax for a minute and, and just sort of smile and, and be playful. So I, that's one of my, my favorite clips. But the one that really stuck with me uh, is, is the one with uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson, who plays Thufur Hawa. When he when he acts, uh, you know, with Oscar Isaac as Duke Leto, and they're they're interacting, and you see the the, the interaction between the two, and and he's being very solemn as Thufur Hawat, and then you have Duke Leto who's screaming, you know, this this was my my son who was being threatened, right? To me, I thought, wow, the level of acting is at a level that I really didn't. Oh, I haven't seen the movie, right? So I haven't experienced that yet to that level. Even the, the preview that we all saw uh, didn't show as much of that kind of uh, dramatic interaction between the characters. So uh, between those two, uh, I, I was really impressed. I, I, I really have not seen a lot of uh, Stephen McKinley Henderson and, and seen his uh, depiction of Thufur Hawat. Um, other than the quick moment that we see him in that, uh, in, in that preview that we all saw. But uh, gosh, I, I think the level of, of acting is going to be really rich and 
and, and emotional and, and realistic. And that's what I liked about, about seeing these. Simon, did you have a favorite from those clips? Um, I think everyone's favorite is going to be the little mob deed. Um, you're right. Denis was just having a good time. I feel like it was a day that he was on set and being like, okay, I don't have the pressure of the world. I can relax for a couple of minutes. Um, that is my favorite scene also. Oscar Isaac, that performance. And what's interesting is we don't even see his face. We just see his back. And I remember I tweeted back to Mark at Dune Info with just like a gif of an Oscar. Like, wow. Just literally like that is a performance. I'm also not familiar with Steven and I'm looking up his INDB. Uh, interesting enough, he worked with Timothy on Lady Bird, which I still have not seen. So, um, but the performance, the acting, we keep talking about the visuals, you know, and we'll talk more about the acting on another part of the show. But what we're seeing is just dead on a class performance. I, I, of course, um, definitely agree with the, you know, your picks. Those are great. There's really just this, I can't remember, I don't know if there's a name for it or where exactly it originated from, but this is like a two long, two minute long reel, essentially, where it's just behind the scenes on different sets and with different actors. And Denis is basically in all of them. Um, and I tweeted about it. Um, and I was just so like, I, he's my favorite filmmaker. And I think everyone probably knows that by now, but I just love seeing him like have so much fun. Like it is amazing. Cause I feel like I've never really seen him like that before. And I've watched a lot of like behind the scenes stuff and pictures and, and, you know, B roll footage and stuff like that. Um, and he always seems like he has like, you know, he, he has uh you know, focus and, and everything, um, you know, as a director, that's like the number one thing you need, of course, to, to command everyone as Garen pointed out. Um, but I feel like, on a movie like this that is so big and you just always hear so much about like the stress and Denis himself has said that this was the most difficult thing that he has ever done was making this movie, um, which is really saying something. Um, I think that to see like him in, in his element on set with the actors and with the, the, the crew and to like, and then these are big serious scenes like that you see them in, um, there's, you know, the Gamjabar scene, for example, and like it's uh, Rebecca Ferguson and Timothy and uh, Charlotte Rampling and Denis, and they're just all like laughing and smiling, like in between takes. And it's just like, I just love seeing like that kind of like warmth and like the way he interacts with people. And like, it just feels very personal and, and not like in Hollywood, there's just so much, you know, negativity and like, like just nonsense, I feel with a lot of filmmakers and a lot of films and productions and it's just it can really be just uh i feel from everything i've heard and seen over the years like a very demoralizing kind of um you know oftentimes toxic you know environment and atmosphere depending on who you're working with um and so just to see like that this looks nothing like anything else that i've like really seen or heard especially on this scale i think if you're working in an intimate small you know, not low budget, but like a smaller, you know, moderate budget film, you know, you have a little bit more, there's not as much pressure on you and you, there's not all, all, all of the economics and studio stuff that goes into it. It's a little bit more, you know, you know, less financial uh, based, but um, this, it just, I, I, yeah, it's hard to think of anything else where I've really seen that because it is always just so stressful. And they always talk about how stressful it is and, and there's always issues behind the scenes and, and creative control and all that. And here it just seems like, 
he was just kind of let loose to, you know, play, play in his uh, candy store and, and just do what he wanted to do since he was a kid. And that's make Dune and, and to bring this world to life. And, and it seems like everyone, and we've heard this in interviews for, you know, how long now, every cast member that they talk to, they're just talking about you know, how great the experience was and how they were like a family. And it was just, you know, very light and positive and everything, um, you know, despite the material, which can be heavy and, and dense, I feel like they just you don't get the sense of that at all that they were under stress or feeling like you know that it was too much to handle and, and they have things that anyone is grading against anyone else. And I think again, I just love seeing that. And I could, I mean, I could watch hours of this stuff. Like really, I, I would love to. You know, I'd kill to be on set for just one day or one hour um, to see you know everyone interacting and, and the stories that come out of that. But um, yeah, I'm loving this stuff. I, I hope more we get more of this. And I'm sure we will. Um, but yeah, I could I could eat this up all day. You know, Johnny. One of these days, someone's going to write a book uh, about Denis and and his filmography and his experiences doing this. And I I feel like because the the actors and the other production people talk about how he's just a kind, good person, right? So you match a kind, good director with a director who is incredibly excited and childlike about the subject matter. And I feel like this is a case study in great leadership. You know, I'd love to sort of have someone one day write a book. And if this movie is uh, a franchise, someone will, uh, because I, I think there is something about that in any business. And this, this film industry is a business. If there's someone who is just get it done at all costs and they don't care about the people. Um, and, and it's, you know, the, it's all about the money or whatever. I, I just think that kind of leadership is a grind. It, it weighs down on people and they have a hard time being uh, at their best in their performances. So anyway, I love, like you, I love watching him because I just feel like because of who he is, it brings out the best in these actors and, and these creative people. I mean, you got returning actors that want to work with him again. Like he's worked with several of these actors already. So that should already tell you something. I'm sure, you know, their agents are like, hey, we got this role for you. Oh, cool. It's with that guy. Mm, it's okay. I'll pass. But yeah. if they hear the need, they're probably like, oh, yeah, I had a good time working on that. You know, it's what makes directors have a great relationship. And I can name a couple off of my head that I know. I've heard stories that people never want to work with them ever again. They don't even want to do interviews. And you're right. That family feel is sure. It could be fake or, you know, publicity stuff, but with this, I feel it. And I, I feel like, especially when we saw those interviews with Denis and Rebecca and even with Timothy, there is a family feel to it. It's very organic. They respect Denis respects them. He, they respect Denis. I think it's a mutual respect for everyone and not being like, hey, look at me, I'm this director and you shall all bow down and worship me. No. And I will say, Garen, it's funny you mentioned someone writing a book on Villeneuve because hey, something, I, something I've been, I've mulled over once or twice. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. During this whole process. But also I was going to mention, I remembered um, Stephen McKinley Henderson he he is in Lady Bird, and he's also in Fences, uh, Denzel Washington's film from a few years ago. 
Um, both both great films. That's the only thing I've seen him in. Uh, also, he's in uh, the Hulu series Devs by Alex Garland, which he's supposed to be really good in. Um, but I have to shout out. He went to he's an alum of uh, University of North Carolina School of the Arts. Um, and I'm actually I'm in the same town right now. My girlfriend is an acting student there, so she'd probably kill me if I didn't uh, mention that. But <laughs> that's uh, he is very talented. I'm excited to see more of him. Um, and, uh, you know, whether it's in this or, you know, potentially other projects, um, I, that's an exciting addition. It gives me that Shakespearean vibe every time I see him. Like a theater yeah, actor. Definitely a theater actor, for sure. Uh, some of the other behind-the-scenes clips. Uh, for me, there was uh, two other takeaways, I think, um, besides what we already touched on. And uh, that was what we've talked about several times, about you know the, the practical nature of you know how they, they put everything together on the back end. Like the, these people were in ornithopters. They, they were like uh, in, in front of these, uh, these huge sets. So we, we saw that, that clip, which did get taken down from the, from the ornithopter, the, the scene with the... Uh, with Spice Harvard's scene, uh, but like probably if, if you do want to find it on online, uh, there, there's at least a lot of still images that are still out there, so you can get an idea. But basically, you, you see like they they have a, a crane in the middle of the desert, and they're they're lifting this this 12 ton ornithopter. It was like suspended in the air, and uh, you you had like uh, runners on the ground like pulling it with with ropes and and rotating it. Uh, and then you actually had the stunt doubles on the ramp. So like the like uh, Timothy Chalamet and and uh, Josh Bull and their stunt doubles were actually on the ramp while it was being being rotated. So like completely like realistic uh, uh, scenario get, getting getting that effect. And like you know when you when you juxtapose it next to the like, the final results, you know you you really see like why they went that uh, that extra mile. So that that was uh, really impressive to see. And and I I hope that you know we we get a lot of these behind the scenes extras on the on the Blu-ray and hopefully on the digital uh, releases as well because I think there, there's a lot of uh, amazing stuff to see there. You know, Marcus, uh, I I saw someone tweeted or I, I read somewhere that. Why did Denise schedule uh, these these shoots in the heat of the summer uh, near Abu Dhabi? And because uh, if I'm getting it right, it is not just like sort of California warm. It's like, you know, Arizona, middle of the summer warm there, over 100 degrees. Uh, but he wanted it to feel and have the image of, you know, the... Uh, the mirage coming out of the distance. He wanted to have the heat feel, uh, you know, the actors to feel that heat and to have it actually come across, you know, as they're filming it and to, to create that, that feeling with it. So again, I, I just think he went about this to do it in a way that made it actually feel like you're there. You know, you could have done it all on green screen, probably could have saved some money, would have given you some more options, but doing these practical effects just, again it makes it come across real yeah and they even mentioned i think with, with regards to the abu dhabi point you talked about um it has like at, with that heat in that time of the year it has a very uh unique like specific um like hazy gray kind of sky to it which is is similar to how it's described in the novels, I believe. So I, I, that was an interesting uh, detail. And you can see that. I mean, and a lot of the footage we've seen, especially in the, the parts that I can pick out as being um, in, in Abu Dhabi or near Abu Dhabi, it definitely, it has a very like, I don't even know how to describe it. Just all the desert shots that we've seen are just so like, 
they're just mesmerizing. Like I, I cannot wait to see this movie, uh, especially in IMAX and like, just to be totally, you know, as you said, uh, like transported and, and enveloped in it. Cause it's, it certainly has that feel and everything that they've mentioned so far, you know, adds to that. Well, to quote a great man once, you don't film Jaws in a bathtub or a swimming pool. <laughs> I don't remember Denise's quote, but yeah, I love that they went on a location and they could have done it. They could have lucas it and done it with a green screen. But, you know, once again, and I think when I saw the IMAX preview, I felt like, yes, I know mentally they shot this over there and I feel like I am on Arrakis, you know. And um, another, when I'm talking about shooting on location uh, and talking about the behind the scenes stuff that we've seen, there was another great little clip that I loved, uh, which probably, probably, yeah, one of my favorites was uh, they're on location in Norway uh, and they are shooting, they're like rapping, they just finished filming and they're right on the ocean, the sun setting. I think they mentioned that it was like eight or nine o'clock at night because it was summer. It was still like pretty bright out. Um, and they're all have like glasses of like champagne or whatever it is. And they're, uh, you know, Denise making a toast to everyone. Cause they, they were finally done with, uh, principal photography. And it's just, again, another cool little, you know, communal moment, um, and getting to see them. I just getting to see them on location. I always get a kick out of that, but, uh, we haven't seen a ton of Norway. Uh, I feel like thus far compared to all the desert stuff. So it's cool to see that too. Uh, speaking of uh, location, so definitely Villeneuve does love his analogies with with bathtubs and swimming pools and and all that. Um, yeah, so so he he was he was saying before about uh, not shooting jaws in a in a swimming pool, which uh, yeah, that's uh, totally agree with him there. Um, the other other thing that was uh, interesting because of course, you, you know, you, you do have to put in the effort to like go to all these locations, but like. In some cases, it made economic sense. So, like uh, whether it was in, in Abu Dhabi or in or in uh, Hungary when they were shooting in, in Budapest, they did get rebates from from shooting in, in those areas. So, even though Dune does ha have a high budget, like they they they, they were smart in, in terms of like how they approach this in filming in in real locations. So, uh, yeah, this would, would also be interesting uh, at some point if someone did a full breakdown of uh, you know how much money they they saved versus you know like doing everything with like the technology of uh, of uh, green screen and all that, that would be an interesting comparison and like also comparing the end result, of course. The um, last takeaway from, from these uh, behind the scenes was uh, uh, also the, the involvement of the, of the state. So uh, w whether you've, you know, you've, you've gotten into like uh, the expanded uh, Dune materials or like you, you haven't read any of them, um, I think it's, it's also important to note that the, the Herbert in state was, was closely involved in this. So you had like one of the scenes where you saw that uh, Brian Herbert was, was visiting the, the, the set and you, you basically see him there talking to Villeneuve in front of that, that sandworm mural. And like in that clip, it looks even bigger than like, you know, like what we had seen from the, from the other clips. And I just wanted to read one one quote from uh, from Brian Herbert when he was speaking with uh, with Inverse. Um, so he's saying, uh, "I was very impressed by the trailer, and I was thrilled to actually be on a movie set in Budapest." And he's talking about 2019, uh, where my wife and I watched the filming of several scenes. This is a really big movie, a major project that will forever be considered the definitive uh, film adaptation of Frank Herbert's classic novels. Uh, films, uh, sorry, uh, fans are going to love this movie. Uh, Denise Villeneuve is the perfect director to do Dune. So uh, he, he was he was actually on set, and we can see that on the on the behind scenes. So he was he was really impressed with that. So I think it's 
important in all these uh, uh, properties that you do have the involvement of, of the of the states and that, that have been doing hard work on the on the background to keep these uh, these alive. Marcus, I liked how it almost you almost saw the reverence of the actors, uh, Josh Brolin and Oscar Isaac and Timothy there as they were taking some 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 uh, photos, you know, with uh, Brian Herbert and his wife Janet. And you know, it's interesting because Brian is the link, right, to to his father, to Frank. And you know, here here they are, you know, watching this creative adaptation of of you know his his father's uh, classic novel. And and yet, you know, you have these actors and Denis himself just you know treating them almost like royalty, which I thought was super cool. You know, I I love that. It almost again is another reflection of how Denis considers you know the novel the bible right in 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 the context of making this film um so i remember reading that quote from brian herbert uh quite some time ago and i remember the first time i read it i thought oh i don't know brian herbert's not a filmmaker i'm not sure he really knows you know exactly but now that i've seen this clip i can see that you would look and see the actors you see the sets the practicality of it and you'd be like oh wow they, they are really going to do this. And maybe hearing Denis talk about it, his vision, his method of creation, Brian is, is, is convinced at that point. He's like, oh my gosh, they're going to really do this right. That, that's, that's what I got from that clip. So I think that covers for the behind the scenes. So let's go to our third story today, which is uh, the, the marketing so as, as mentioned, we didn't get as, as much as we had in the, in the previous weeks, obviously, because the, the movie has already released in a bunch of countries. And now we have a couple of weeks before it releases in, uh, you know, in, in all the uh, North America, South, South America, China, etc. Uh, so we did get one, uh, one uh, interesting clip, which was, uh, I think we, we sort of talked about that a couple uh, weeks back about how you know they're, they're going to be, be leveraging like uh, football for uh, for promoting Dune, and we actually did get a crossover uh, clip. So uh, Simon, let me start with you because I know that uh, football is your favorite sport. Right, right after you know FIFA football and after the NHL and the NBA and all that. Um, look, I don't know anything about football since I moved to Washington. Uh, my girlfriend's a diehard. Seahawks fan. I know that much. I know the whole state of Washington loves the Seahawks. That's why I have a Seahawks shirt. Uh, I'm happy when the Seahawks play on Sunday because work is slow then. Um, but overall, it's pretty. Like from a video um, editing point, it's done well. It feels like Dune. I showed it to her before we recorded and she's like, wow, that's really cool. I have no idea who any of these players are. So I'm the wrong person to ask. It looks pretty Cool. Two thumbs up. Awesome. And so uh, we were talking before about how, you know, they were definitely going to take advantage of football to show like trailers and, and clips. Uh, but like uh, in terms of the significance of actually having this this crossover. So you had a CD land, Devonta Smith, and you actually had them, you know, like having the football appear on the on the world of Arrakis. Like how significant is this, Johnny? Yeah, I mean, it's. I certainly wasn't expecting it. <laughs> um, it they they went above and beyond, I think, and uh, they more specifically, they chose a really interesting and, and smart matchup uh, for this because they chose. I mean, Dallas Cowboys—it's like the most popular team 
in the world, essentially, uh, for this sport. And then you have, uh, you know, the Eagles, which are their biggest rival. Um, so it's a big marquee matchup and it's Monday night football. It wasn't just some random game. It was, you know, prime time. Everyone's watching it. Essentially, if you're interested in football, you watch football, you're going to have it on. Um, so yeah, it, it was really smart. And again, kind of came out of nowhere. And then of course, also they focused on two, uh, you know, star players, Devonte Smith, who's like one of the strongest rookies right now. Um, and then also CD lamb for the Cowboys, who was a rookie last year, I believe, and had a good season and he, he crushed it uh, on Monday. So uh, that, that also pays off for doing because you're in a little extra, you know, uh, coverage with his name. So yeah, it was really interesting. And I, and I, didn't know this was coming. I went and saw it and I heard about it and then people were tweeting about it. Yeah. And I was just going through all the tweets and people were like, I mean, it was, it was working because people were losing their minds over it (laughs) saying like, wow, it looks amazing. That looks insane. Like Dune, holy, like all this other stuff. So yeah, they, people liked it. And, um, people were, there was also, apparently I didn't see this because I actually didn't, I I have not been keeping up with football as much as I probably should have, but, um, I guess they had a big, tv spot or commercial later during the actual game later on with just footage from the movie and people were also like losing their minds over that thinking like i have no idea what dune's about but i am 100 going to see that and that looks fire and that looks sick you know a lot of fire emojis which is always good um so just just opening up mainstream general audience um the kind of people that are gonna be watching monday Night football that's who you're trying to draw in now because you have the dune fans you have the movie fans, you have the sci-fi fans. So let's get more people, the people that go to watch Fast and Furious, the people that go to watch Star Wars and go to watch Marvel um, and DC. That's what that's what you want. And I think, again, literally everything I saw when it was happening and after the fact was people were excited about it. Even if they were like, I don't know what that was, but I want to go see it. Um, and that's what, that's perfect. I mean, that's, that's awesome. And I'm just continuing, I'm just continually impressed by, everything that Warner brothers and legendary have been pumping out. I mean, it's been, again, there was a lot of skepticism. There was some criticism of how they were handling it. And, you know, are they not going to do enough? Are they waiting too long? Um, And even going all the way back to last year. Um, And I think that, I mean, since, since the fan event, the IMAX event, which was an amazing, brilliant kickoff situation, (laughs) Um, it has been like pitch perfect. I mean, I mean, there's been really barely a note wrong. Um, and if there has been a note wrong, they pretty much correct it right after the fact. So it's, uh, I'm just really impressed and happy and keep it coming. I'm sure in the, in the weeks to come, you know, I said this weeks ago, football season, it's 100% going to be a factor. That is something they're going to drive home a lot. And the, the primary thing is TV spots and having commercials during the games, before the games, after the games. Um, this is just going the extra mile. And it again, smart, smart move, good move. And I'm looking forward to seeing more TV spots and, and commercials and whatever tie-ins they come up with in the next, uh, you know, coming weeks. You know, one thing um, that I wouldn't be surprised, the NHL starts on October 12th. And Monday night football is a big deal. And Hockey Night in Canada on Saturdays are a big deal. So I wouldn't be surprised if we had a Dune kind of preview, something like that, especially Denis being Canadian, maybe getting the Canadian audience interested in it as well. You know, what I thought was so cool about this, <clears throat> I'm, I'm actually watching the game with my wife, uh, <laughs> I'm originally, my, my family's originally from Texas, so so I watched the Cowboys. 
And, and we see this come on and at, at the, it's pretty short, but it's, it's pretty impactful because you're, wait a minute, that's CD lamb. And that's, <laughs> that's Devonte Smith, but wait, this is Dune. And at the end of it, my wife turned to me and she said, wow, Dune is a really big deal, isn't it? <laughs> and I thought, that is that interesting that a certain subset of, of film uh, fans or moviegoers, they may really be into football, but they might not know about Dune yet, right? So what a brilliant crossover to capture all these eyeballs watching an NFL game on a Monday night. And suddenly they see, wait, those are my players that I'm watching right now in this game and then there's this movie and they're like in the movie somehow. <laughs> and then later they, they did an actual, you know, uh, uh, trailer uh, uh, ad. And I, I just thought, my gosh, that's brilliant because, you, you know, and then, you know, I'm, I'm replaying it on my phone as I'm literally watching CD Lamb, you know, catch a, a pass and go into the end zone. And, you know, it was just a really cool, like in the moment marketing uh, promo. And I just, yeah, they need to do NHL. They need to do other stuff because I'm telling you, I thought it was super effective. Yeah, the World Series should start soon also, you know, when it comes to baseball. So maybe during the World Series playoffs, they can do it also. And the NBA. So who knows? We might get a LeBron versus <laughs> someone. Darren, you, you brought up a, a good point about like, uh, you know, raising the, the awareness for these people. I, I think I saw like maybe it was just just one tweet that was like really negative about this, like saying, you know, like, wh why are you crossing over Dune with uh, with football? Like, did it make sense? And like a lot of people were were, were replying like, uh, you know, if you like Dune and you wanted to get a part two made like this makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, this this is marketing, right? You, you want to reach uh, this 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 big audience who, who are, you know, tuning into the, to the big game and like get them intrigued about, well, this, this looks, looks cool. You know, I may not know what this book is about, but you know, I, I'm going to check out the movie. So mm -hmm. yeah, from my perspective, totally makes sense and totally agree. I, I hope that they do a lot more of this in the next uh, three weeks. It's potentially a little confusing because it's actually a football flying through the air <laughs> on Arrakis. <laughs> and these two receivers are both trying to go and catch it at the same time. And they've got all these people popping out of the sand to stop them. So potentially cool. people yeah. are like, wait, is this part of the story? <laughs> but no, just to capture their, their, their attention and then see the Dune uh, icon at the end and be like, oh, well, this is, this is something. I mean, I need to see this, you know? Yeah, that's, that's a good point. And I loved, I mean, yeah, it was really, we didn't even, I didn't, I don't know if anyone else mentioned the details, but yeah, they have the players like the, the eyes of a bod and, wow. and they're wearing, you know, Fremen garb and all that. It's just really like, they really went and did that. Um, and yeah, to Marcus's point as well, this, yeah, this is marketing. Like this is what you do. Um, this is people. I remember over the summer, you know, a few months ago when marketing was kind of starting back up, I remember someone on discord was complaining that, Oh, oh, Dune has a TikTok. Oh God. Like, wow. Like, why do they have to do that? Like, that's just this. And then someone was complaining when that Snapchat filter came out, you know, a couple of weeks ago, they're like, Oh, Frank Herbert. I'm sure this is exactly how he imagined uh, Dune being used. I'm just like, th this is how the game works. Like this is, do you want people to be aware of Dune? Do you want people to go see Dune? Do you want people to read Dune? Um, I think Frank Herbert would care more about people, uh, knowing of his book of knowing of dune and being you know um compelled to potentially watch the movie being com 
you know, compelled to read the book and check out, look it up online, just see what it is. Then he would about um, someone taking a picture of the Snapchat filter of them <laughs> on Arrakis with a sandworm. Like that is not the point. Uh, and anyone that like questions that, I don't know if, if it, it feels like it's it's some like, aspect of gatekeeping. I feel like to a degree, it's just like, relax. It's okay. You can still like Dune. More people liking Dune is a good thing. Um, and this is how you do it. And I think that this is a, a good early on. I mean, it's not even October yet, so there, there's still a lot to come. And this is just a good, nice little piece to, to get the ball rolling. Yeah, like we said on the first show ever, don't be that guy. Don't be the guy. <laughs> don't be the, the hipster guy that's like, uh, Dune's my thing. I don't know. You don't know about it. It's cool, man. Like you should you should have read it years ago. No, encourage people. I think it's great. I'm I don't care about Snapchat. I use it to talk to my team members at work. I don't understand TikTok. I subscribe to the Dune TikTok because I was like, hey, you never know. They might really something on there. But word of mouth, like we were saying earlier, get people to know what Dune is. Get to know the word of Trades, Harkonnen, you know, Fremens. I think it's great. I wouldn't be surprised if Mountain Dew puts out a <laughs> a blue uh, lemon ice cold. I don't know, I, something. And you know, if McDonald's was still doing Happy Meal toys, I would love <laughs> them to have little sandworms. I, I think it's great. I mean, look at Star Wars. Star Wars is known, but guess what? It's also known because of its marketing. Lucas was really smart when he said, hey, I'll take a cut of the profit if I can market this. And that's how I got known. So, and plus, everyone's always going to cry something, you know. It's that whole entire hipster mentality. I liked it before it sold out. Yeah. <laughs> Don't be that guy. Share your love of Dune and share this podcast with other people. You know, that's a really good point. Didn't they used to use a lot of like fast food, like, uh, you know, McDonald's and Arby's and that were tie-ins to, to movies. That, that was a really mm -hmm. big thing for a long time, mm -hmm. but I haven't seen anything. Maybe it's the pandemic. I don't know why, but you know, why isn't there a happy meal with, you know, a cheeseburger and shy halud, right? I mean, that would <laughs> I mean, remember, um, Burger King for a while had those really nice glass cups of Star Wars. You know, I know you can't do glass anymore because of lead and all that stuff. But yeah, there used to be so much marketing. You know, I got the Dune 4K release in the David Lynch era. There were like placemats for a birthday party. Mm -hmm. Like, how crazy is that? That they were like plates for a birthday party. The more stuff. Hey, guess what? There's Funko Pops. Cool. <laughs> Someone that might collect Funko Pops might be like, hey, this is a cool pop. What is this? And I'll get introduced that way. You know, there's the McFarlane figures. Someone that's a toy collector might be like, oh, these are cool looking figures. What is it? You know, word of mouth anyway, you can get it out. I don't mind the filter. I'm not going to lie. Maybe <laughs> I, I, I use that filter. <laughs> And, uh, in terms of marketing, so just uh, one other thing um, that came out this week was um, on, on YouTube, they actually showed an ad, which was a, a full scene. So basically 90 seconds of the scene where, uh, where, where Paul and, and, uh, and Duncan Idaho are, are talking. So that's, so that's the scene that we, we actually saw in the trailer, but just like a couple of, uh, of, of seconds uh, 
a bit, you know, like of uh, of Duncan saying, you know, like uh, that the most important things happen when when you wake. But now now here we saw the full uh, full context of that. Um, so in being mindful of spoilers, so we'll probably put a spoiler warning up in a few minutes. But let's like for, first all overall reactions to that scene, uh, Simon. Oh God, loved it. Just <laughs> absolutely loved everything about it. Johnny. Yeah, I. Uh... I, I tweeted it. I'm just like, I can't believe I'm just going nuts over this very short clip that is just two people <laughs> talking. Um, I mean, there's there's a lot of editing going on in that that scene. So it's not really just two people talking, but it is uh, it's just so exciting. Like, I really did love every single thing about this little simple scene. And um, I mean, I really I've probably watched it like two dozen times or something. Uh, and I, I just find something new to appreciate every time. It's just like with Villeneuve, every scene is just so detailed and is so full of like audio visual, um, you know, stuff to absorb and, and to consider. I uh, will be talking about it more here in a second, but yeah, it's good. I, I'm like Johnny, I've watched this thing 25 times today, I think. And I, I'll tell you, I like the performances of, of both these actors. I, in fact, I like the pacing of it. You know, here you've you've got uh, you've got Duncan Idaho. He's he's probably just flown in. You know, doing you know some acrobatic thing with his with his ship, and he, you know, he's sort of in his element, focused on fixing something on his on his on his spaceship or something. And then he has this conversation. And what I love about Timothy's performance is Timothy is like really concerned. Like, how am I going to say this to Duncan? Duncan knows me. You trust me, right? It's it's establishing the relationship, and then I love how you know uh, Denis kind of hangs, and 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 the the scene, the cut that's uh, just Timothy. Timothy kind of waits a while to really say what he's going to say because it really gives us a feeling of he doesn't know how to tell him sort of the bad news that, about his dream. You know, I I just it was the performance that I loved. I kept I kept eating that up. And then this is kind of strange, you guys, but I love kind of seeing what's way in the background, like mm. the size mm -hmm. of the hangar. You've got people walking by, you've got, you know, attendants and security. And I'm just like, dang, that's cool. I love all those details because it just simply feels real. So I'm always, I'm always a, a, a sucker for that stuff. I just love it. These these scenes they, they they weren't in in the book, but it really helps uh, flesh out the, the characters, and I think it's uh, yeah j just a, a great way to to make the the audience uh, care about more about these people, understand their, their motivations, understand their relationships with each other, because we we knew in the, in the original book that that basically uh, Paul and Duncan are are really really close friends, but you don't actually see that uh in in action um and like we were talking about it in, in the past uh like uh, if you look at some of the the expanded novels so like you had the uh dune the duke of caldan which which came out uh, last year and that's the the prequel trilogy and there you have a lot more scenes between paul and duncan and you really understand about how that that friendship uh formed and uh, get a lot more of that interaction and i feel it added a lot to to knowing that these characters were were actually close um, so I, I love seeing that on on this on a screen, like just uh, yeah, bring bring those those characters 
more more to life and give giving reasons you know like why do these people are are unique like uh what 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 they think about each other like what what their relationship is each other with each other like uh, how much they trust each other so i, I think that's, that's so important so before we go further um let, let's put up a spoiler warning and then we can we can go um free for all so i'll, I'll put in uh um yeah that's timing for for the for the end of the, the show I must not fear, for fear is the mind killer. Fear is the little death that brings total obliteration. I will face my fear. The one thing I love about that scene is, like you guys were saying, was the pace. Uh, And that's something that we heard about in early reviews, that it's kind of slow, but it works so well. You know, and going back to what Marcus was saying about, you know, the prequel stuff. And even in the original novels, you know, we're known that Paul and Duncan, Paul doesn't have that many friends. Duncan and Gurney are his only friends, really. And it's seen the two brothers kind of, I hate using the Obi-Wan Anakin reference again, but it's two close people that trust each other. And... Um, I guess we can go in full spoiler mode. The whole scene about, I mean, the whole part where he's like, I had a dream. And I feel like that scene might be a little bit cut. I can't tell where it would be cut, but the whole thing like, hey, I had this dream that you were fighting all these people and you didn't make it out alive. Major spoiler there, but also it shows Paul's visions. Like he already has them. You know, Duncan is kind of aware of it. And I don't know if you guys notice right away when Duncan, like the scene opens, he talks about something about, I think it was uh, impeachment or something. So there's already like talk about politics, you know, treason. That's what he was talking about. Like, this is treason. So I love that it's very perfect to introduce someone to Dune. You get Paul's visions. You get the friendship between Paul and Duncan. I mean, Duncan's my favorite character. So anytime I see Duncan on screen, I'm a happy camper, and hopefully we get quite a bit of it. And I love that, once again, it's a scene that's not in the book, but it works. It doesn't feel like, oh, wow, they're setting up that friendship. Great. I get it. These guys are friends. I don't know. I was blown away by it. And I love that he's like, I saw you on Arrakis. And I love that filter that they're using, even when you see Paul's visions of Arrakis. Yeah, and and it's interesting, uh, like to see that interaction with them because even from the, from the beginning, they're, they're re- really playful. But you, you can tell that like uh, Duncan really cares about him, and he he is taking what he's saying seriously, even though he's he's teasing about him. And then when he talks about you know like uh, oh, so I did find a fremen, and, uh, and then like when he talks about oh, you didn't didn't make it out, you you can see that 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 does weigh on Duncan for for a moment. So I thought that was like re- really really good acting, and I know that some people have have you know like question you know like is is uh jason momoa the right person for, for this role but like uh at least from from this scene he's he's uh totally uh convinced me there yeah god there's just so much i could literally i could talk about this scene probably for like an hour um but like just everything about it like the the set and the lighting and the camera movements and the like the framing like i love well, i mentioned this um i don't think if i mentioned it on twitter but like the very first shot and we don't know there's probably part of this clipped off at the beginning and part of it clipped off at the end maybe you're in between they've edited it somewhat um but that first like kind of arcing camera motion where it, it swivels around to uh get duncan's face and then it has reveals like paul in the back um 
And so you kind of have them both there in the frame and you get to see Duncan's reaction throughout the scene as he's hearing, you know, what, what Paul is telling him. Um, I thought that was just great. And like, it's very, it's very like naturalistic lighting. Like it's very much Greg Fraser's lighting. You can tell that. Um, and it is reminiscent of like arrival, I would say to a degree. Um, but it's, yeah, it's 100% Greg Fraser, and it just looks so good. And, and what Garen was talking about the, the, background and the you know the extras walking around and filling up the set like that i was definitely something that caught my eye and i kept going back and looking to see how many people there were what are they wearing what are they doing um and and i just feel maybe i don't know people are maybe gonna want to kill me for saying this but (laughs) this feel this felt like a scene and denny has made this reference himself so i guess i can say it it felt like a like a like a Star Wars kind of scene. Like it felt like that kind of where they're in the hangar and they're just one character talking to another, trying to get a feel while they're working on a ship and just trying to like suss out what the situation is. Um, but it felt like an elevated, you know, he called it Star Wars for adults, but it felt like an elevated, um, you know, kind of maybe more artful version of that, at least compared to you know some of the more, more recent films, in my opinion. Uh, but it just has like it has a sense of scale and weight and it is, you know, taking its time, as was mentioned. But it's not like too slow. Like it just feels like in a in a Disney Star Wars movie, this scene would be moving a mile a minute. Like it would be bam, bam. Here's the dialogue. This person's saying this. I'm reacting to this here. It's like, no, Paul's, you know, he's taking his time. He's like not really sure how to broach the subject or, you know, how to talk about this um, and Duncan's reactions. You know, he hears, yeah, you, you know, you fell, you know, in, in battle and, and you see the reaction on his face. And he's just kind of like, you know, trying to absorb that. And how, how am I going to respond to this? Like, what am I going to say to Paul? Um, it just all really works. And I love, I mean, I've been high on Jason Momoa as Duncan kind of from the beginning, even though it was a shocking casting. Like, I was not expecting it whatsoever. And I don't think really anyone was. Um, but I just think he is so like such a brilliant choice. Every, every choice I think for this cast is just so inspired and perfect. And I think I I tweeted this as well. Um, but this is, if nothing else has convinced anyone yet, or it doesn't give you reason yet to want this, like this clip made me want to see a Dune Messiah film (laughs) so badly. Cause I know people have been like, well, I don't know. Can Jason Momoa do this? Can he do that? I think with under Villeneuve's direction and with the right like script and everything and Dune Messiah offers already a, a bunch of great dialogue and scenes and, and, and whatnot, I would just love to see Jason Momoa in a role where it is so like subtle and like it, it just has a lot of emotion and things like that. I feel like he would just crush that. And this is a very small sliver of that. Um, but I think just in the little bits that we got, he he's doing it's a little bit of it's Jason Momoa and we've seen him kind of do something similar to this before, but it's, it's just finely tuned and all the right beats. And I can just see and hear Denis like kind of getting him to do certain things and, and go for certain things that maybe he, he wouldn't usually. Um, and that's what you want from a director. And that's, I think what we're getting in the editing, the music, consumer score. Yeah. I love, I'm loving it. I can't get enough of it. Marcus, what'd you think? <laughs> people have, have uh, like criticized like uh, humor or lack of humor in certain movies. And I know that there's, there's not going to be a whole lot of humor in this movie, but they, they really use it perfectly because here, you know, basically um, Duncan has had this, uh, 
dream, like because he's taking what Paul is saying seriously, and he hears, okay, well, he's basically predicting that I I may not make it make it out of this, and like he just comes around and like comes with a with a joke, you know, like you can see like his his heart of uh, of gold uh, coming out there. Uh, so yeah, I, I really enjoyed seeing seeing that uh, that scene. Uh, Garen, what what did you think? You know, I think a lot of thought went into from the marketing standpoint of which clip are we going to show right for this this YouTube promo. And to choose the Paul character and the and the Duncan character, I think is absolutely no coincidence, right? Because like, like a number of you have said already, can I believe that Timothy Chalamet can play the most believable Paul Atreides ever? And Duncan is a key character. Can Jason Momoa play that in a way that I that I'm believing him all the way till the end, right? And, and so I think it was a genius uh, clip to show because it showed uh, not only the acting capability of both of these, but the ability of them to create this relationship that's believable as well. And, and since we're in full, full spoiler mode, I remember when I first heard that Jason Momoa, and I, I liked Jason Momoa, I didn't dislike him as an actor, but I guess I wasn't necessarily a fan. And when I heard he was gonna be Duncan, I was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. If this is a franchise, this character goes practically to the end, you know? So I, I was a little bit hesitant about, man, is that the right person to play Duncan Idaho? Because, you know, he becomes a, a Tleilaxu Gola, but he exists and he, be, he continues on throughout the stories. But just this scene alone made me, made me feel like, you know what? I think he can do it. He has a feeling that's very natural um, a seriousness yet a playfulness and and he just looks the part even though it took me a minute to get adjusted to him being Duncan Idaho so I, I thought this accomplished a lot a lot for a diehard fan like me to be convinced these actors can do this right and and also to all the Jason Momoa fans and all the Timothy Chalamet fans to be like hey this is this is something I want to see I want to see my favorite actors you know interact in this uh, this interesting off-world story. I agree. When uh, Jason was cast as Duncan, I was like, whoa, I don't know how I feel about this. You know, and yeah, you need that relationship if they're going to make, you know, I'm not saying all six original books, but even if they get up to God Emperor, you need that relationship. You need that bond. And one thing that we didn't even talk about, Timothy looks really I mean, of course, Jason's a lot bigger than Timothy, but Timothy looks kind of shy and awkward and not the Timothy that we see later in some scenes also. He looks like he's not sure of himself yet. And I feel like that's crucial because Paul is pretty awkward in the beginning of the book. You know, sure, he beats the Gonjavar, but he doesn't evolve to be, you know, Paul Maldi the Uso until later. And I like that we're going to see that from Timothy, like growing as a character all the way through. But overall, perfect scene to show. I wonder if we're going to get maybe another scene with Oscar Isaac, because he does have a movie coming out this week, Adam's Family 2. So maybe getting his name out there. And I think he has that HBO show that starts pretty soon also. So getting yeah, it's him on now, yeah. So again, him and Timothy maybe showing a scene, Oscar Isaac, Dune, you know, Adam's Family, whatever that HBO show is called, and getting the word out that, hey, this guy's also in it. 
I would just, yeah, add to what you said, Marcus. I think this is great talking about the humor specifically. Um, I think, you know, because in, in the second trailer that we got in July, there's, yeah, there's a little back and forth between them and the hangar. And it's like, you're like, oh, is this too like goofy or is it MCU humor? You know, what, you know, what to make of it. Um, but no, I mean, I never had an issue with it, but I think this scene shows why, I mean, it works in context even better than it does in the trailer because here you understand, okay, I, this is why he's saying that. This is why he's like making this joke because it's such a, like a dramatic, heavy, like moment between these two. And I think Duncan is, he's trying, you know, he's trying to alleviate that. Like he's trying to break the tension and, and not with just Paul, but with us probably like the audience, of course. Um, and I think that's smart. I think that really works. I think Jason Momoa is great for that. Um, and yeah, I think that that really works. I'm, I just, I can't wait to see more. Yeah, this is great. You know, one final thought I just thought of while Johnny was speaking, the whole entire thing of Paul was like, well, if I was there, I could have saved you. Maybe that's why it, Duncan's like, oh, what, you put on mus- muscles now? You're the tough guy? So it works. You know, if you look at the dialogue, I was there, I could have saved you. Oh, what, you have muscle now? So once again, perfect. And this is just like 90 seconds from, from the movie. Like, you know, we could talk about this for, for ages. So I'm just excited for our like episode when the movie comes actually comes out, like when we're going to talk about it in detail. I don't know how long that yeah, yeah. episode is going to be. a five-hour saga. <laughs> discussing I feel them. like that's going to be several podcasts. <laughs> so It'll be Dune Review Amendment 1 through 10. Like... <laughs> broken down into like different chapters <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh science to, to your point i think that there are so many opportunities for, the, for them to do more stuff with the with the marketing like i think um you know we're expecting them to do a lot but i think we still might be surprised about what's what's coming up in the next uh, next three weeks like we saw with the with the with the nfl and with uh, other sports and what what clips are going to show like are, are they going to like uh you know release the beginning of the movie for for example we had talked about that before uh so yeah i think there's there's um a, a, a lot that uh, that we may not expect that's coming up so yeah that was it for our show for, for today that was uh dune talk uh so uh thanks for joining us along for the ride as we approach the final releases of, of dune coming up uh, so we have some uh, some exciting episodes coming up uh, next week, including uh, some some stuff coming up for the, the games that are that are coming up. So uh, uh, we'll share some details on that soon. Uh, so before we close, um, Simon, where can people find you? Uh, I'm on S Dowdy on all the social medias. Uh, I'm glad that we're here for your mental health. As someone commented, we're going to walk you through it, North America. We're going to get there soon enough. And Europe, if you want to join the party and rewatch it, it'll be interested (laughs) knowing if it'll get a bigger hit the second time around after it comes out in America. And people in Europe are going to be like, oh, I should go see that again. Word of mouth. Yes, everyone. Johnny Sobchak again. Find me on Twitter. Um, yeah, I, I'm just more and more excitement every day. Can't wait. Ticket should be out soon. So keep an eye out for that uh, for sure. This is Garen with uh, Dune Companion at Dune Companion on Twitter. Uh, thanks for joining us. We appreciate all your questions and comments. It's fun. And this is uh, Marcus Gabriel. Uh, so you can find me on dunewsnet.com and dunewsnet. Uh, so we'll talk to you next week. Bye.
We hope you've enjoyed Dune Talk. Remember to like, subscribe, and turn on notifications so you know when the next episode drops. Stay tuned to dunenewsnet.com and add us to your social feeds. Be the first to hear breaking news and reviews.